welcome to Campaign Corner. Hey there guys, this is Reed. I normally play Quarian Silicent in Lightlessness and a number of characters, most recently Glass in Pumpkin Spice, and today I am joined with Matt, the player who plays Baybreeze in Lightlessness and oh my gosh, Rothgar Crags in Pumpkin Spice. Wow, I remember my character name, but not the campaign name. Isn't that great, Reed? It is wonderful. I guess it just shows how important pumpkins are to that campaign. It's very true. It's very true. Alright, so what we have for you today is we're going to do a dungeon build. And as I have explained to Matt, and I am about to explain to you, we will not be using strict stats with this. Because I would like to put forth the premise, the hypothesis that Dungeon building is a methodology and has nothing to do with your system or anything else. You can fill this dungeon in, you can populate it as it is best for your level, for your party, for the kind of campaign you're running, but there are certain things that we should probably be focusing on if we're trying to make a really good dungeon. And I will also preface this by saying that, obviously, if you DM before, obviously we don't always put this much effort into a dungeon. Sometimes we go ahead, we got a general idea, we just throw stuff in there and make it fun because we want to, we don't have too much time or it's going to be a minor dungeon or whatnot. You know, this isn't something, we don't have to go to these lengths designing a dungeon all the time, but it is nice every once in a while to sit back and say, you know, how can we make this the best dungeon we can? And that's what we'll be going for today. And then also, uh, for anybody who is a new DM or is thinking about going as the DM, this is pretty much how, you know, we built, you put this much effort into your first dungeon until once you become a seasoned DM and you realize the players are just going to avoid it and you just put all this effort into a dungeon. So this is something that everyone really should do and eventually kind of get into that comfort zone, but it's always good to get back to basics and we are going to go into the basics that Reed and I both feel is maybe a superior way for us. It's how we feel like this is the best way that we can build our dungeons. But you are welcome to take things that you like, maybe negate things that you don't, and build the best dungeon for yourself. Or if you want to go into building a dungeon, realize that there is a method behind it and you're not just all alone. And these are some steps you can take to build the best dungeon you can. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and give Matt the opportunity to determine what kind of a dungeon we will be building in the session. Okay, well, with the pumpkins not being a super huge thing in the last one, uh, in that last comment, and then also, right now, we are recording a little bit before Halloween, maybe a Halloween dungeon might be the best thing for the listeners, or, you know, you can make any kind of holiday coming up. So I think today, we're going to go Halloween, uh, get a couple of scary things in here, and start the theme of the dungeon as Halloween, so we have to make these hard decisions of what should I do? Where should I place things? What should things look like? We know the theme is Halloween, and whatever that means to you might mean different to me. So it's always good to, you know, have that building block for yourself and for your players. All right, Matt. So what does Halloween mean to you? <laughs> well, to me, Halloween means a lot of scary things. You have um, ghosts, goblins, ghouls, zombies, undead. You have uh, graveyards. You have haunted houses. I think maybe for us, um, you know, maybe starting off in a graveyard might be a good idea. I mean, that kind of seems like a little thematic. Sure. Okay. Sounds good. Graveyards are definitely the last place you want to be on Halloween, unless you're in a slasher movie, in which case you probably don't want to be at any kind of party or anything like that. <laughs> so, uh, we will be starting with the graveyard then, 
that is obviously above ground. We are going to have a destination to get to then? Sure, sure. Um, well, I know that we did speak a little bit too about level restrictions, or do you want to... I mean, because what, what I'm thinking is having this be a dungeon for everybody... The higher level you go, as listeners may have heard in Pumpkin Spice, when Chogger could fly over the lava pit, it might kind of cause a little bit of um, anti-suspense. I don't know. How do you... Uh... Uh, just unintended consequences to design, I there, guess. There you go. And uh, I know the first time I built a dungeon for the players, we were, they were all level 10, they could fly. So I said, let's build it underground. So we're in a graveyard, but guess what? We're going down, Reed. So I think... That having a destination in the bottom of a structure underground would be a good idea. And since we're in a graveyard, perhaps the opening, um, rather than it be a cave, because a cave wouldn't fit in a graveyard, perhaps we would go to a crypt or mausoleum. Sure. Classic stairway in the mausoleum. Works for me. Okay. And I'm guessing that means that below the mausoleum we have catacombs or something like that we'll use as a rough... Yeah, catacombs would be good. I mean, we could always, you could either go and for listeners, if you play video games, you know, think of like Skyrim catacombs where they're thousands of years old. Or even if, uh, in my mind, I always think of, you know, beautiful marble. So they could be even like a, a gorgeous marble. So depending on what kind of creatures or kind of level or like theme that you want to have down there, is this an extravagant, um, is this like an extravagant less... necromancer down there, or is this a um, perhaps just like a, a demon entity down there that might be, you know, um, or like even is it just a haunt? Because there there are like you know campaigns where paladins might go into say clear a haunt that's down there. Or there's a blight, and you definitely would want to use paladins instead of clerics because if you use clerics then they're just going to destroy everything without having to roll so very true very true and uh and healing is good for the party but not good for undead characters so i don't know yeah so i suppose that does bring up the question of what is at the bottom of this catacomb then because that will indicate what kind of things we should have whether back to what you said whether it's demonic or undead or whatnot so well halloween tends to be undead kids okay. dress up as uh if I see kids trick-or-treating, they tend to dress up as skeleton men and not as uh, fifth-level demon orcs or whatever they have in any edition. At any rate, that was, I'm sure, the trend back when we were younger. I'm sure these days they're likely ninjas and Batman and whatnot. Well, that was back when we were kids, too. Yeah, I in think. the 1800s. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're the old men in the group. If, uh, <laughs> if listeners don't know, we are the two older ones, and... Doesn't make doesn't make me more mature. I know Reed's a little more mature, <laughs> but uh, yes, we are the oldest. All right. So uh, in that case, undead, we probably have a necromancer. Possibly could be a lich, depending on the level of your party. Very so true. you can see all that between those two. Um. All right. So we have the graveyard. Honestly, do you want to draw out the graveyard? Oh, by the way, I didn't introduce this in the intro, but I have placed on the table between us a stack of graph paper and a couple of blank sheets of printer paper to make notes and draw. And also I see a pencil and a big eraser because we do make a lot of erasing when building dungeons when you realize, oh, I need a little bit more room there. And yeah, right. That, that's a big thing like when you're when you're drawing dungeons. So with the graveyard, um well here, let me ask you mm -hmm. let me throw this to the uh host of this. Mm-hmm. 
do you want there to be an encounter in the graveyard or do you want to just have this be a verbal component and then perhaps draw out the catacombs themselves? Yeah, and um, that actually was my question that I was going for for you. Oh, but okay. since you preempted me on it, I'm going to give my opinion, which is I think that what you do in the graveyard is perhaps build the suspense a little bit. Okay. I think that what you can do is if you really want to, if you want to spend the time, you can draw this graveyard out. And then not put an encounter in there. That way, your players just because we're meta gaming a little bit here as the DM, your your players see the map and they're like, "Oh man, there's going to be an encounter because we don't use maps without encounters." No, it's true. And because we're doing a Halloween slash horror thing, you kind of do want to get your players a little bit on edge. So I think we can draw out the map, but I don't know about putting an encounter in here. Possibly. You know, one of those things back to getting your players on edge, you can always go ahead and have them roll and just have it be meaningless. You can say, okay, can I get a will save? And that will get your players thinking. And as it turns out, there may not actually be any will save to be making. You're just getting them concerned and paranoid. Okay. You know, that is definitely metagaming against the characters, but we have to have a little fun into DMs because we're putting in this much work. And I think that's a great way to start the suspense. Um, also, if you want to go really overboard, you can even have creepy music playing on your stereo. Yes, yes. No little, no My Little Pony, unless you think that is creepy. But let's try to keep it thematic, and we'll play some Metallica. Okay, Metallica. You know, I don't know if that's quite creepy for me, but... Didn't they do that in Back to the Future? Wasn't that Metallica that he played when he came back from the future and just called himself Darth Vader? Honestly, I can't remember, Matt. I apologize. Uh, that's okay. You know, I know we are old, so our memories are fading. Um, yeah, these uh, past two centuries, a little over that. Okay. So as I'll describe to you, as I'm describing to the listeners, there may be a couple more things that I would draw in here, given the desire. But I just drew a couple of grave. Uh, a couple of gravestones, uh, just two rows. If you want to make it a little bit more elaborate, you're welcome to. And a couple of open graves. If the party decides to do a perception check, maybe I would have them determine, depending on how high it is, maybe some fresh dirt was tilled there. Um, you know, kind of build that suspense of there are people digging around these graves or something is like around there. Um and for the record, if your players ask later on why there were empty, fresh graves, well, it is a graveyard. <laughs> it is a graveyard. And and like and with most of the campaigns that you play in Dungeons and Dragons, this is kinda of like a medieval theme, so they might have a couple graves like, you know, just ready to go for people. You never know. Um you can always tell your, your characters whatever you feel, whatever is best for the world. If you know, you're doing this as a one-shot, that's one thing. If you're doing this as like a theme dungeon for a main campaign, you can kind of build it as you see fit. Now, inside of here, I also built the... Is it a, is it a mausoleum? Mausoleum. mausoleum. That's how I've heard it pronounced. Okay, right. so I'll say mausoleum. Now, I uh, have... Unless, unless we have people of the Islamic faith buried there, then I suppose it would be a mausoleum. That it, it would be a Muslim museum. Um, anyway, not to bash anybody or anything like that. So we are going into a, a mausoleum, and there's an entrance way. Now I'm thinking 
off the entranceway, there might be two crypts. You could also have all the walls lined up with, you know, again, if you're going to be speaking about this, because unless you feel like drawing little wall things, which might be a little difficult for the players, especially if there's not going to be an encounter, it almost makes it tough for you to, you're, you're really building suspense by sitting there, drawing this, opening this whole thing up, and taking the time to draw, which you will erase later, unless you're doing a Roll20 program or something. But you will be just doing this just to build suspense. So depending on how much effort you really want to put in, you can put in like you know skeletal bodies in the, on the ground. You could put in cracked. Oh, go ahead. So I will say that I think that because we want justifiable reason later on to tell the players that this was just their imagination and that they were freaking themselves out. I don't know if I put skeletal bodies inside the mausoleum just laying around just because that doesn't make any sense. Right. The other thing I will point out for the listeners, because when we said mausoleum earlier, I was expecting maybe a 10 by 10, maybe a 20 by 20. We have something rather large here. We actually have what is probably a very rich nobles mausoleum with multiple caskets for the deceased members. And this could play very much into our theme here. Right, right. Uh, it's a little bit bigger. Like I said, if you wanted to go where there might have been some kind of demonic entity or something that was a haunt, a small opening would work. Um, you would be able to say, like, okay, we're going to this creepy thing. If you're going to go into an elaborate, um, you know, a necromancer that is going to be controlling, you know, the armies of of noblemen that might be buried alongside their, their old masters... Again, you can you can build and kind of skin how things how you want them to be. So this might be a good thing. I we just I just drew out this map and as Reed came and talked about it, you kind of get these ideas as you go along and it will help to build uh the whole theme of the dungeon. But I also wanted to have multiple multiple rooms and multiple crypts so they would have to search. And you can also see is the party going to do the Scooby Doo let's split up? Or, which we know in D&D should never do, but it's always good for the DM. So you want to see, if, are they going to split up, or are they going to stick together? They're going to investigate one room, investigate the other, or do they know, is there an opening here? These are things that you're going to have to determine before they got here. You might, as a barkeep, tell them you know, about this Lich King, or about the Necromancer, or they might have to find it on the room. And I will mention, since it was brought up on the case of splitting the party, just keep in mind that if you split the party, that means some of the party is not doing things at turn time, so make sure you keep the pace up. So if you have half the party sitting around on their phones, that's not terribly great, but if you can bounce back and forth and handle situations quickly, then that works out a bit better. Very true. And, you know, if you're going to have two rooms... Like, we just have two rooms right here, and they're just right off each other. It's basically a main hallway, and then just two big rooms with one casket in the middle. If you decide that you want to have, the, if the party does decide that they want to split up, have the first one just be a, you know, oh, this this one isn't the right one, no matter which side they pick, and then the other side have it be the right one. That way, then, it kind of builds that suspense of, like, what are we looking for? What's going on? And then the second party finds it, so it's not the second party saying, well, we already know that the room is in this one. Why are we even looking around? Now I have to play act like I care. So, you know, if you're going to have to build that suspense or you're going to have a trap in one of them, make sure you use it no matter what side they pick. That way then if they do decide to split the party, it's okay. But if they decide to go in the right one and they do pick the right one, 
don't feel like you have to use that trap. You can always let that trap go. Um, you know, you can let them actually proceed as planned, especially if someone has private previous knowledge or something. Yes, this is also known as Schrodinger's trap. It may or may not exist. It depends on whether or not it's beneficial for the party to encounter it at the moment. That's true. Or if you, you know, really feel like setting that theme and messing with them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think that's the opening. Once they open the crypt... uh, So, well, one quick question. Uh, Do we want to put any clues in this for later on, in this mausoleum? So do we want to have any murals on the wall that perhaps might indicate clues later on as to the personage of the necromancer or some other element of the uh catacombs below that we might throw in that's not necessarily related to the necromancer but well you know there actually could be now thinking of our party mm-hmm. we do have uh sam who plays notch stern who is a big reader so in the case of our party it might behoove the dm to just say you know what they're are stacks of old musty bookcases everywhere or there's a stack of like bookcases that are disheveled with old musty books um upon a perception check you know the one that they might use to scan the room you could say there does seem to be one that seems out of place and they might you know they might pick that up and say well what's this and then you might see a diary of some sorts or a grave robber's journal you know, um, that might say, this is the, you know, like the crypt of XYZ. I heard there are treasures buried down there and, um, you know, armor of armor of kings, you know, things of that nature that would entice a grave robber to go in. There might not be actual like legendary armor down there, but it would, it would say, you know, I haven't been able to find, uh, you know, I haven't been able to find this. There are, like, I, I'm hearing movements down there, but I can't figure it out. Um, I'm going to, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to figure out some way to get down there. Or if maybe that person did go down there, they're going to meet, like, their friend that, that broke the code, you know? So they could have just left it there, and you might see, like, a sleeping bag or something and wonder why did they leave their personal possessions without any... You know, but that could be a suspense building. Okay, okay. Gotcha. Again, that's something that I think that our party might benefit from with the book, because we do have a heavy reader in the party who would immediately go over and read it. Like, he every, every time that we have something to read, he will go over there and read it. So, that might be a good, here's a clue, that's, your party would like so, it. So, what you're saying is, you want to... Uh, Make that clue as obvious as possible. Um, maybe. Well, it depends if they failed. The fa- if they failed the perception check, they wouldn't even see it. Yeah. And if the party didn't have a reader, mm-hmm. then or if the reader decided they didn't dis- that they didn't want. Well, to read I mean, this time, it, the book becomes irrelevant just because you were bringing up the book because it's not stern. But right, right. So if if our party had some kind of other fetish in it, so if if one of our party members has some kind of other fetish, you would tailor this clue to that person's fetish. That way, it's more likely to get picked out, perhaps. And it also provides buy-in to at least one of the players, um, even if that player isn't necessarily the um, the trap finder, because there are going to be people who are. If you do have a rogue in the party and they built their character to find traps and to go through dungeons. They may not necessarily care about a moldy book, but 
you know, a character that's a librarian, a moldy book is like, you know, their wet dream. So it would work. I think it might work well for the party. And like Reed said, having a placard now for uh, for your character, the noble, high off noble. What's mm-hmm. his name? Quarian. Quarian. That was Quarian. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry for being separated from the groups for so long that you can't remember my name. No, we, have, <laughs> we haven't played it in like four months, realistically. So it's just it, it makes me forget a couple of the small details. Mm. Yeah, like, like the main character's <laughs> name, Corian <laughs> Zillicent, son of Duke Penlod Zillicent, is a small detail, evidently. Yeah, well, I do remember he's a high elf noble. Like that's that's what sticks out to me. Um, for him, having a picture of a uh, uh, elegant. Um, woman, either elf or like some kind of noble um, painting and like a placard underneath, that would really um, be eye-catching. Yeah, that'd be eye-catching for him. And then he might use his knowledge of, uh, like knowledge nobility to think with that role, oh, that might have been XYZ or I heard of this person and you know that that was like a military family or a very rich family that people have been looking for their treasure for years after after. So you're really died. doubling down on the treasures searching for this one. If I want, it depends on how we're going to entice the players. If the players okay. are enticed by killing a necromancer, mm-hmm. then I would def I would I would say if they know about the necromancer, mm-hmm. there are there's a powerful army underneath, like a terracotta army almost, where they buried their dead. They mummified like their army. So that way then their army could fight in the underworld. You might even say, like, they were, like, crusaders. And that when they died, they wanted their army to crusade against the evil in the afterlife, too. So, you, I mean, you could really build as much as you wanted to with this. Or if they were a party that didn't know what was going on, they heard that there was... But, like, why, why, why are people looking down here? Oh, there's treasure down here. Well, you know what? We're in it for some treasure. Let's go down here and kick any bad guy's booty... And get whatever treasures down there. Not necessarily; it doesn't have to be the the dragon's hoard, but to whatever kind of level party you might have, different treasures mean different things. So a noble might have a powerful magical item, which they would um, put like their would have their army, like their undead army, like there protected. Mm-hmm. Or it could be a, a powerful, like you know, or it could be just a lot of gold. For it depends on what the party wants. So as a DM, you're going to have to learn how to tailor these dungeons. And this is just the entrance mm-hmm. of the dungeon. We're trying to figure out what's going to entice them, um, what's going to provide character buy-in, because a character that's only gold-hungry is only going to want to go after gold. A character that... Well, well, well maybe we're, not we're, only, we're assuming but, the group is very individualistic at any rate. If the group's... Into, yeah, if, if they are. But I want to try to buy in as much of the players as possible. Because when we sit there at a, at a table and if we aren't personally like, invested, that's when we get the cell phones out. That's when you get the tablets. And none of us, as DMs, that's one of the worst feelings when you kind of see people just disinterested in all the work that you put in. So providing these small steps where we're going to build a fresh grave, we're going to build a graveyard with no encounter. This is all to get character buy-in and to get the suspense and to get the players to want to play this dungeon. So, you know, depending and like I and like I think we were talking about earlier, if you once you kind of get used to being a DM, you might not need that buy-in because you know their boss might tell them you need to go and clear out this crypt. There's a necromancer here, or you know, 
whatever the case may be, this is the imminent evil that we need to kill. For, um, for like you know, a rule of thumb, it's always it's easy to kind of fall back on. Well, I told you to do it, so do it. It's it's really difficult to try to say what makes my characters tick and what's going to not only make these characters want to play it, but the owners of the characters who are these characters at the time around the table want to play it as well. Yep, definitely very important. So, now that we have a lot of what we're thinking about for this entrance to it, we have the actual entrance itself, getting into these catacombs. Now, in my opinion, how you deliver this, and you suggested that maybe there's a trap, I think that this plays into, this should forecast to the players what they should be expecting moving forward. So if there's a trap, we should probably put a little bit more traps into the dungeon than we might normally do because we showed them a trap right off and now they're going to be expecting traps. They're going to be searching for traps. So A, may as well not waste their time (laughs) because they're spending all this time rolling for traps, right? True. And B, it gives them a little bit of a roar at each time they find a trap. You know, they feel good about themselves for finding the trap. Yeah, that's very true. other options are obviously we could put nothing there, in which case we're just dragging out that okay, this has been way too easy so far, <laughs> you know, we could literally just open up the sarcophagus and there's literally just stairs, there's no digging around for a false bottom or anything like that. And then there's always the option of, you know, a curse or some other kind of magical trigger that is a magical trap sort of thing that, in which case we'll be looking at a lot more magic uh, detection and whatnot going down into the crypt. So true, and we did just have uh when we went to Luca's dungeon for the listeners, we did have two magicians that were looking for magical traps because that's what most of her quote technology and I'm winking to read right now. Mm. Uh you know, we actually know not <laughs> to say it. Um that technology that was magic, we had two magicians that were able well, no, I was a magician and what was your character? Like uh it wasn't a cavalier, was it? Oh, um, I, I was actually a fighter wizard. I was a gish. So. Okay, all right. So, yeah. all right. So, yeah. So we had two wizardish characters that mm-hmm. were able to um, detect magic, and that was our thing. So that dungeon was themed excellent for our two characters to be able to determine what these detect magic and like all those kind of fun things were. So that is how, as an idea of what I was speaking on earlier, that's how you theme a dungeon around characters that are going to be playing it. It gives a buy-in, and like Reed said, it kind of gives them a reward to figure out these puzzles, and it really made them want to work together or even work like show off how important they are or how cool their character is and feel like, yeah, I just did that, you know? So And to go, um, because Matt just said the magic world of puzzles, you could also do something like that. You could give a riddle on the sarcophagus, and that would then pass on to the rest of the dungeon. You would be able to, with riddles, the one interesting thing about riddles is that they don't have to be random questions of the Sphinx. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, answer this random question to pass by, like what is the square root of the tangential velocity of a African swallow or something like that. Seven. It could be actually riddles that indicate theme so you could have something concerning this noble's lineage which then would give information further on in the catacombs for example if it's the answer is a sword let's say let's say we come up with some kind of riddle that is whose answer is a sword well later on in the catacombs we might come across 
a sword or we might find a sheath and we know, wait a second, we had this riddle earlier on about a sword. Maybe we should be finding the sword to go in this sheath that, you know, and again, if we want to put a little more detail in it, you know, this sheath may have a certain name that appears in the riddle just to tie those two things even closer together. So it may have the name of the noble on the sheath. And we know that we answered with the noble sword getting into the catacomb. So it allows us, riddles allow us to build also the world itself rather than simply being gateways to get to the next encounter. Right. And with that, actually what made, that made me think of is perhaps the necromancer and going on that, you know, maybe the undead crusade, perhaps the necromancer is part of the lineage, which is why he knows this crypt. So he could be the one who he's raising the dead to fight the living army or, you know, something of that nature, which you can, you know, have that be only the lineage can pass without like, you know, without harm and have it be a magical barrier. And then the magicians have to, you know, use some type of, uh, sorcery spell or whatever, like the skill check and whatever game type we are playing at this mm-hmm. point to dispel it or to get through it or to find blood of a nobleman in one of the fresh graves. You know, maybe mm-hmm. maybe one of the people that were buried out there or in the crypt they can find and they could cover themselves with blood and be able to get down. Something of that nature, depending well, on how gruesome you want it to be. Yeah, I was about to say, depending on how gruesome you want to be, you yeah. could also put a suit of armor or something like that in the other uh, sarcophagus and then one of the players could don the suit of armor and the players falling behind him would just be allowed to pass through as part of his entourage oh that is that's a really good idea plus yeah it gives people a reason to wear something mm-hmm. that might be thematic and maybe that armor later on you might need to lose a piece to open a door or lose a piece to... or even to continue progressing and yeah. so depending on your system for example if your system has some kind of armor breaking mechanic in it in which armor breaks down and you have to get it repaired right perhaps later on in the dungeon the armor breaks and they've got to spend resources to repair it in order to progress to the next uh section of the dungeon right. do we now because we're bringing this all up we probably should and this is generally something that you're going to figure out before you start <laughs> getting this far is who the big bad guy is so right now we've kind of just been throwing ideas out and we actually have a pretty well-defined bad guy at this point based yeah. on what you said so our bad guy just to clarify to get it on paper is he's a necromancer of the lineage of this noble line yes. that's how he got into the crypt that's how he knows about the army evidently that's down there so we can write that down too we can say that there is a army we should probably have any skeletons or zombies that we have down here should probably have emblems and crests concerning to this lineage that way we keep everything thematically consistent if you know matt said that there might be uh mummies down there these mummies could be minor nobles of the lineage you know not the main branch family but they are mummified which is a much more costly process so they could be you know suited out like pharaohs or whatnot with the golden crowns and that would allow us to distinguish them again with the thematics rather than just being you guys run into a pack of mummies and you open up the monster manual and this is what a mummy looks like no this is not what our mummies look like our mummies have these golden crowns with feathers coming out of them or you might even have a if you decide that you want a head mummy you might have one of them have a be like a pharaoh type and then you might have a couple of scorched looking mummies with uh that you might find at an actual museum you know there's like there's like really like 
they look like just like they're completely blackened by dust and everything. So if you've ever gone to a museum or like, you know, anything like that, you would be able to kind of like understand what I'm talking about. You could have a couple of minor zombies and then the King Kong zombie that, you know, would have the noble lineage and those minor ones either could be um retainers or yeah retainers sickly looking ones or something like that whatever you might want to you know however you want to flavor it and also the cr of the party um i'm not sure if cr is a dnd only thing but like that's kind of like in my Hmm. mind because that's the only system i play with um a, a higher level party might have to fight full four full mummies but a lower level party might only have to fight four vassals and one head mummy like that might be enough of a challenge for them so you're gonna have to and, you know you can play with those types of um monsters and like how you want to define them but if you have an idea of necromancer army skeletons mummies um and crests and armor on some of these uh characters which it, they're all humanoid so you know are there going to be maybe mummified dogs you know, they, they, this is a noble family that not only had a huge crypt for themselves, but actually built catacombs underneath for hundreds to thousands of other um, beings, which you have to think, yeah, they could have dogs too. They could have a snake pit, whatever kind of like, you know, fun things you might, Indiana Jones, you know, want to do. Mm-hmm. And I will say that uh, on that note, because we keep on bouncing back and forth between mummies and zombies. They could be zombies that look like mummies. You can always just change the flavor around. If your party's a level one party, and speaking to D&D, if your party's a level one party and there's no way they're going to be fighting CR4 mummies, then instead of them having to fight mummies, you really want that mummy theme for, you know, for thematic purposes. You really want them to be mummies, but you can't justify out of the monster manual that they're actually mummies. Well, just have them be zombies, use the rules for zombies, and just say that they're wrapped in bandages and stuff like that so that they look like mummies. Right, right. Yeah, it makes sense. And this is all, and and uh, going back to what we were talking about before, this is how we like to build our dungeons and another way for you to do it. We're, we're kind of building the theme first, then we have an idea of how the dungeon's going to run with the traps, with the puzzles, with um, the magic. And also, then we determine the bad guy and why he's the bad guy there. You could always just say, it, it's so easy to plop. I'm a necromancer in a graveyard, raising the dead. I'm making a more powerful army. It's very easy to do that. And if you decide that that's what you want to do as a DM, please feel free. We're just trying to give you ways to make it more enjoyable for your party. And when your party enjoys your dungeon... Um, those little details will make them enjoy more. That will make you feel like you've done your job and you are the best DM and they're going to leave that session. Whether the characters win, lose, die, or live, they are going to feel like they were in a crypt fighting a necromancer in the theater of their mind. Yep, and that is the goal. The goal is, because I keep on bringing it up, thematic consistency to make sure that the players are involved. To make sure that they actually feel like they're doing this rather than they're just rolling dice against numbers. Yeah, yeah. And it's easy to get like that after you played it for years and years and years. Um, the hardest thing to do is keep it fresh, and I think that putting a theme is the best one. So we have level one taken care of. Now, this is something I don't know if... Um, you... Let's reword that. Okay. Floor one. We have... <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So we have floor one uh, taken care of, uh, with the... which is just the entranceway. Now, this is something that I also do, too, for myself. I don't know if you do this. 
how many encounters floors do we want to do? Because a party going down five floors, if there's an encounter in every single one of them, that's a taxing toll for a lot of people. Um, if we have so far, we have an army, we have skeletons, we have crest mummies and a necromancer. So we could actually have four floors with with it being a um, one encounter per or. What I'm kind of thinking, and and tell me if you agree with this or not, we could have um, a skeletal area where it's just like the the lower members on the catacombs are crawling out, and that's where you have the first skeleton encounter because they sense a disturbance or someone steps on a glyph. Um, the mummy, you could find a mummification room or like like operating tables, and you see the one mummy raise up. And a couple of like the doctors that were like surrounding it or something like that, uh, or they come busting out of the what do they call them crypts, I guess when they're standing up. Um, sarcophagus. Sarcophagi. Because I'm I'm assuming there's gonna be more than one, or if there's only one sarcophagus, and then maybe the next floor we do have an army, but this army doesn't move. And now these these characters are they are scared to death after the. The second, these two floors with like these like difficult creatures, or you know maybe not so difficult, but these scary creatures, and they're seeming this army. Maybe one of them falls over, you know, and then that just kind of like scares them. And then down to the necromancer, you have a necromancer, and you do have a small group of those soldiers, or you could say even some of those soldiers are missing. You know, that's again more clues that would say, well, how come there's I'm counting like you're counting sixty four. And not, you know, it looks like there's places for 70. So it kind of, like, you know, gives them, like, an idea of, like, six of them were raised dead by the Necromancer. So um, so I'm thinking that's floor one. And that's that's how I like to build my dungeon mentally. And then I'll build the, once I have, like, the encounters built, I can kind of, and, like, the theme of every floor, then I can kind of build those floors. How do you like to do it? I actually was going to suggest something extremely similar. Oh. Basically, rather than saying, these are my encounters... I was going to look at thematically where would we expect these things. So I actually had it basically the same exact layout you had it. I had it, I was thinking, get the skeletons in first. These are the commoners, the lesser vassals, and we'll have those in the first area, whether it's the first floor, the first actual physical floor, or the mm-hmm. first area, whatnot. And then further in, you can have, I was going to go for soldiers. You went for the mummies. Again, I'm thinking mummies. I personally would think that the mummy process is too expensive for soldiers so i would have had the mummies um or the soldiers next and then i was going to go to mummies after that and as we're getting further and further in here the reason that we're putting the nobles then the higher ranks at the back is because we want to make sure that anything that we have in here to stop robbers uh grave robbers only get so far as the lesser least important people I don't want, you know, to put my mummies up first. I'm not going to go ahead and start the group off with an encounter with mummies because that doesn't make sense. We wouldn't put our nobles at the front door. The nobles are supposed to be behind the guards and the peasants and the whatnot to make sure that they're the most secure. That's true. That's true. And with that thought in mind, perhaps at the end, the necromancer doesn't, he might have a couple of soldiers next to him, like a couple of undone of the army. Like I, I think maybe having a couple missing if we do decide to keep that. Um, I like the army, then the mummies. I think that makes sense thematically. Perhaps in the back, he's raising his great-great-great-grandfather, whatever, like the warlord, 
And perhaps as you walk in, he's either raising him, just finished raising him in the process of it. You know, that could be he's the person in the crypt that you the whole reason why you had to come down here is because he came down here to raise him or her. Um, and then you could have treasure be in that person's sarcophagi or wearing it if you want, like, the armor to be the treasure or magic items to be the treasure. So that might be, like, that could be the finish line is that dead body that's in there. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I would say that as for the because you did mention this when we first started off Mm -hmm. how many encounters are we going to have that's really going to depend on your group you're going to actually have to need to know your group as to whether or not as to how long you should make this and how difficult because some groups are find it acceptable to sleep in dungeons so it may be that your guys fight the skeletons take a couple of minor wounds and then decide to go to sleep and be at 100% for the soldiers. And then if we have encounters in there, they get a little beat up. They're at 100% again after the soldiers going into the mummies. So how long this should be is going to have to be tailored to your group. And you may have to consider putting in tools to force the party to move on if they are hyper min-maxing and trying to make it as easy as possible right that's very true and also if it's another good thing to think about is not only the um characters but the player's time if you only have um as dumb as this might sound if you have only have four hours to do this dungeon yeah as dumb as this might sound yeah four (laughs) hours to do a dungeon to have four encounters would actually be kind of like getting to that point maybe three would be better if you especially if you want yeah i mean so sorry to cut you off here man Mm -hmm. but in my experience you should a lot generally an hour to combat yeah each combat so we would actually if we had four hours we might only get through two combat Ooh. because you have all that exploration time. That's very true, yeah. So, I mean, if you were thinking of having this be a one-session uh, thing, especially with it being Halloween for us, if you had like, if you had a Thanksgiving theme or if you had whatever theme that might be a timely thing, then you might want to allocate four or you might want to allocate five or six hours and have a full day. If, you're, if your characters can only get together for one hour a day, you might want to say, you know what? It's okay for me to have four encounters, you know, and that goes back to what Reed was saying, as long as the party is okay with, like, sleeping in dungeons, or if that's what they want, then you can kind of tailor it a little higher. If you decide that, hey, you know what, I have four hours to do this. We are doing this the night of Halloween, we're going to have to take breaks for trick-or-treaters coming out of the door, or, you know, someone else, like, you know, your wife or, you know, your girlfriend or your husband can take care of it, let them take care of the door. You're playing D&D tonight. You might only have four or five hours, so you might cut one of these, and you might say, the skeletons, you might only have two or three skeletons that the party can just really beat up on, if that's what you kind of feel like. Um, You might decide to have the skeletons, uh, like already be destroyed and like there could be like some like a dead body at the end of the hallway like if we were talking about grave robbers there might be two or three dead bodies in the hallway with a couple of like two or three like dead skeletons around them well undead skeletons mm-hmm. you know yeah. um so there you could you can kind of like explain why that encounter was already taken care of depending on how you set that theme up 
make sure that you have enough time to play your campaign if you want to sit down and do it in one session. That's huge for a one-shot. Um, one-shots need to be done in one session. So if your session is only three hours, you have to really tailor that time. Or you need to say, hey, this is a six-hour one-shot. We're going to have to allocate six hours to take care of this. You know, However you decide that you want to play it as a DM and how your party can get together. Because six hours out of a day is a big commitment for working adults. Um, it's still a commitment for, you know, college students and it's, you know, a little bit easier when you're younger and you might still be in high school or if you're a retiree. Yep, absolutely. With all that being said, we have the outline for our dungeon now, how we're going to be progressing. Uh, quick question I'll ask. Do you want to do floors or do you just want to do like maybe half as many floors or even one floor? Uh, I, I think what you were saying with, you know, how about we do two floors? Okay. I think that unless you want to have the the end of it, uh, if you want to have an exit be near a castle that the party is like sleeping at or in town, you might have it be one long floor because then it's a graveyard outside of town and it built and like the and like the king or whatever is sleeping under the throne and like the castle and you might come up in the castle. Um, it it just could be some things like that, but I think that maybe having just two floors for us might work out well. Um, what I was, what I'm kind of thinking in my head is, I start off with the entrance, tend to be towards the end of the paper. For me, it just makes it a little bit easier to have that like linear kind of deal. Um, you might have it start off in the middle. I like just to kind of like for myself start off towards the end. If we're going to go with the skeletons, we might have a couple of mazes. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, what I will bring up right now, and mm -hmm. I know you're already drawing, but if it is a catacombs, generally my impression is that catacombs tend to be circular. Mm -hmm. So I might start my entrance off in the center, like in the top center, we can say. Okay. And then we can do a circular pattern. You know, it's not going to be perfectly circular, mm -hmm. but... Mm -hmm we will be have an option right away of left or right. Okay. And then these catacombs can be like a staircase down. Um, but we'll go left or right. And we might have this left one. Um, we'll have this be a room where what would be uh, maybe like tools or something like that to take care of the catacombs themselves, you think? Or, like, servants' quarters, yeah, maybe, um, like, some old dirty beds, or, like, would you even want, like, skeletal uh, Well, I don't think anybody's living in the catacombs, but I do think a storage area for shrouds, for example, for burying the dead with, shovels, that kind of thing. So, tools, a tool area for burying the dead. Okay, and with this tools area, do you want to have maybe a set of keys? Mm, no, I don't really think so. Okay. And I realize that's a possibility to get the players to look for it, you know, to get them to progress. The two reasons I am against that is, one, I don't know if them thematically it's consistent, just because I don't know why you would put the keys with the peasants. Well, just to get to, um, just to get to, like, the second, like, layer of it, you know? Yeah, it, it and I'm, 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 say, I'm saying the second layer is more important than the first layer, so I don't know why you leave the keys up here, you know? I think somebody, if there's... If there's keys, it'd be, be further on down. Quite possibly, yes. Okay. Or 
not or we just don't worry about the gating mechanism all that really is is a gating mechanism Mm -hmm. and if they miss the keys then they have to come all the way back here to find the keys Mm -hmm. and they might the players might not even you know make that click they might not even say well crap you know i guess we just barrel down the door so what's the point in keys anyway yeah and we do have parties that are like that um who are half barbarian Mm-hmm. And um, not the players, but the characters. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, so I know I'm drawing without your permission, yeah. which is always fun. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking we'll have the skeletons. Now, the other end of the catacomb, because we did have a semicircular. Well, or I guess you, you've, you've got it semicircular at any rate. Okay. Well, we can, See, you can even make it circular. When, I, when I say catacombs, right, I think about the catacombs in France. And I think that's a lot more creepy than this actual dungeon that you're building. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, here, if you want to start drawing, please feel free. Because like with catacombs, I'm thinking of Skyrim. Gotcha. And again, that's like a like game design that was designed by professionals. And in my head, I've never been to the France ones, but I played Skyrim. So gotcha. <laughs> that's kind of so how I think of it. The catacombs that I'm thinking of, right, mm-hmm. are basically tunnels with holes in the wall. Yeah, it's like sewer and systems, they... right? It's not even source system. It's like you took a shovel and dug this out. Oh. Actually, there might be a little bit of architecture in there, but they literally just, like a morgue where the morgue has shelves that go into the wall, Yeah, that's all it basically is. Oh, God. Yeah, that sounds a little more creepier. Yeah, and since we were kind of going with creepy, I figured having something less human, you know, like like the tunnel system... If we go with something that's not, for example, looking at this, you got a lot of squares and round, clear round edges, right? If we go with something that's a lot less, that doesn't fit, I admit, on the grid paper as well, but, you know, something that meanders a lot and has a lot of just natural corners to it, so the players are constantly don't have line of sight anywhere. And oh, they can't see each other because yeah. there's only enough room for one person to go through yeah, the time. Yeah, and it's narrow, therefore it's a lot more dangerous. Yeah, so I, I agree with I that. I think that thematically could increase the tension quite a bit. Well, what I was going to... Um, mm. I, I drew I drew a little bit more. Um, I was going to have like that be that a room full of... like you know I was thinking of them in the walls kind of thing, mm. but this could also be another kind of staging room. And then I was going to have this be a maze of sorts. So maybe this could be the catacombs of the bodies uh, being like the shorter maze. We could even take this out and just have it be three different like maze types. Um, So take out like this waiting room here, have the catacombs, and then maybe have two or three collapsed portions that there's room to walk through. But there might be skeletons like in that collapsed portion. So like that's room for them to fight. You know, or like maybe the two of the maybe two of the uh, things come together, and like they discover this as they're walking through it, kind of deal. Uh, again, if your party's a splitting party, having two or three uh, winding tunnels could be very dangerous for the party. Yeah, the- and um, going back to our Schrodinger's trap. Remember to keep these things in mind on the fly. So if you're originally going to have an encounter with 10 zombies and your party splits up, don't throw 10 zombies at the party. Not necessarily at any rate. If you think that your party's going to run away from it rather than try to fight it, then you can. But <laughs> you you don't necessarily want to keep your 10 zombie encounter on the page if they split into groups of two. 
That's true. That's true. If you think that the party is going to run and scream and that the party would actually come back, um, also maybe kind of like hint that, you know, you think you could take you think you could take one or two, but you don't think like all ten would be a good idea. Um, that well, also might have your party running away and then regrouping and attacking, or just avoiding them outright. Um, either and like you know with like the zombies like or the skeletons or zombies slowly chasing them down. Mm-hmm. So with the with the illusion that they are slower than the party, but they can still catch up and they are a looming threat. That now that they have the scent. They can still find them, you know. Hmm. So, what do you think? Do you think that the that the twisty maze catacombs would be a first, a good first hurdle for the party? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't want to make the party too comfortable at this point. After all that effort, we went in upstairs, right? I don't really want to give them anything that they're too used to, which is again why I was kind of. Uh, trying to avoid the square rooms that are clearly, you know, just another part of any other dungeon architecture. Yeah, yeah. Having tools with shovels and everything like that, and then having a widened catacombs would be really... I think that... I like that. Okay. Gotcha. So, we can get rid of this room. Go ahead. Uh, we have that. Like I said, we have a big old eraser. Or... Or we can flip the page. You know, this is why... <laughs> this is why he makes the big bucks, everybody. Um, so, yeah, we... Go ahead and put it on the uh, left-hand side. Alright, sorry. I know I uh, waste paper. That's just kind of my thing. So we're going to start off with a, we can either have a twisting staircase. For me, it just makes it easier to do the um, square. We'll start off with, we're going to start twisting these more and make this more of like a storage closet. Yeah, sounds good. So it's a little bit, you know, you can have tools hastily thrown somewhere. Go Mm -hmm. ahead. Oh, you could have finished your thought. Okay, you could have tools hastily thrown in the in the uh, tool shed, um, rather than it being a, um, like well organized. Or if you decide that you want to have it organized, you can. But if we're going creepy, I think spider webs. I'm thinking, um, you know, bloody bandages. There might there might be some like you know yeah. these people killed themselves working for this dungeon. Well, I don't know if I go that far. Um, the only reason I wouldn't go that far, mm. and not because I'm being contrary, but is just because if you want to be buried with your lord, I don't think that you, due to the, uh, the noble fealty whole entire thing, mm. I don't know if you end up killing yourself. Okay, okay. I think that, uh, because we're going to have this army of undead further down, right? This actual literal army buried with the king. Mm-hmm then I think in that case you want to press the loyalty aspect of these the the denizens of this crypt mm-hmm. a little bit further. So Okay, okay. The other thing that I was going to point out earlier was back to what you were talking about with the collapse thing. We could do that in the storage room as well. The storage room could have been an area that opened on two ends, and then we can create some rubble on the opposite side that we enter from mm-hmm. to indicate that theoretically the catacombs twist back around on themselves and this does a couple things it could give us the opportunity to have it twist back towards where we started and the mm-hmm. players will know that and they can either say okay we will skip going down that path because it should just lead back to the storage area mm-hmm. or they can actually go down it 
And one way or another, we could throw technically a secret room or some sort of special reward for them off that leg in case they do take the extra time out to investigate the leg of the dungeon that they assume just loots back to the storage room. Okay, okay. So, now, the question is, so, I think that, from what you were saying, we're going to have this catacomb kind of cut off near the storage room with maybe a a secret dungeon, or, like, a secret treasure. Yeah, I mean, so long as we draw it so that it is clear to the party. So, right here, you kind of, um... (laughs) The listeners at home can't see this, yeah. but Matt has a long looping passageway that leads back towards the storage room. I would just throw a second branch to make the option clear to the players of, do you want to go right to head back towards what is probably just the, uh, yeah, I was thinking about doing that to the rubble. I would put it closer though. I would make it more obvious that you either can go right and go just to rubble theoretically where the storage room would have been. Mm Mm-hmm. And that would disincentivize going to the right. Or you can go left, which is somewhere that you haven't been before. Very true. Very true. Okay. And then I'm thinking that the catacombs over here, well, you can have... um, So now for the listeners at home, the catacombs, the one way went to the storage room. The other way kind of branched out into three uh, from the mouth of the catacombs. And if we have the small, winding, neandering ones... And then we might have one that might be a little bit bigger, kind of group up a little bit, be a little hairy, and then come out. And they might both dump into the same room uh, where the first encounter might be. Mm-hmm. And might, that, might... that is the question. Yeah. So, so uh, we one... have to figure out where we want to end mm-hmm. up, where the first encounter wants to be, and where the second encounter is going to be. Because if we can figure that out, then we can figure out what how what the size of our catacombs can be. And this is why I was speaking of it in themes rather than encounters. When we first talked about it, I said you get to the skeletons right, first, then right. you st- get to the soldiers, then the mummies. Is because you also have the opportunity, especially if you expect your party to split up at this fork right here. Mm-hmm. If you expect your party to split up, then you can actually have small encounters inside of these twisting areas individually. So yeah, you can two, actually have each. yeah, you can have multiple encounters in here rather than just having oh we're wandering because the one thing I'm concerned about is we're going to spend all this time wandering and then we're just going to get to this one part and finally hit a battle. We should have in my opinion something to keep the player's interest during the long tunnels. So perhaps we throw little encounters in the long tunnels to keep the players interested and keep them on their toes. Right, and if they split up, I would suggest having both encounters happen at the same time. That way mm-hmm. then you don't have half the party sitting there waiting and then the other half the party battling and then switch. If you have it so everyone rolls the... If everyone rolls it, um, you have the, the D20 system for initiative. I would suggest breaking up, okay, left party... Your initiative's over here, your skeletons are over here, right party, your initiative's over here, your your skeletons are over here. But that base number is going to determine that, or have like one round with the left party and then one round with the right. That way then you don't have a group sitting there for 30 minutes waiting, waiting, waiting. You have two minutes with one group, two minutes with the next group, two minutes with one group, two minutes with the next group, which is basically what it almost feels like when you are 
playing as a big group anyway. You know, you're waiting four minutes for your turn to come back around. So it's just two and two. Yeah, and um, you had the list split, but you could even just do one list and bounce back and forth between the two. It depends on how comfortable you are with your group. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I'm and I have a harder time like coordinating myself. So I think maybe for my group, I would do the one way. Mm-hmm. But I'm also a fresh DM, so gotcha. And the other thing I will say about having the encounters at the same time, I totally agree with you that you should try to get those encounters lined up. The one trick you may have to pull is you may have to stop one of the groups if the group is progressing more quickly than the other group through the catacombs. And you might have to say, all right, just give me a second or something like that. Something to that effect. Get the other group up and ready to hit their encounter and then start it. Just because there does run some potential that one group may progress too quickly down the one path, and then they're get taking their encounter like all the way into the next section where you are in planning encounter three. Right. So that's part encounter one. We have the, the catacombs and the theme of this dungeon. Stay tuned for part two, and uh, let us know what you guys think so far, and we'll talk to you soon.